Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hey everybody, Chad Madden here, and welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. In this episode, we're going to be exploring uh, the, the No Surprises Act and also uh, uh, medical medical review audits with Mary DeLong from BCMS. As you know, uh, if you've listened, if you've been a fan of Breakthrough or the Grow Your Practice podcast, you know Mary as uh, the queen of compliance. She has <laughs> four plus decades of uh, private practice experience. And really, I, I think the, the biggest compliment that I can give and, and what you do for our industry, Mary, is you keep us safe, you keep us le- legal, compliant, ethical. So thank well, you. Right. For- I'm glad to do so. Great. Uh, so we are going to talk about first the uh, No Surprises Act that uh, is now effective January 1st, 2022 on, in all of our online groups, uh, forums, at, essentially every physical therapy or healthcare provider site that I'm on. There is a lot of confusion about this amongst owners. Um, can you give us a summary of, of what, what is it? <laughs> Well, the No Surprise Act was a surprise, right? (laughs) So let let me put it in a couple of ways. First of all, when this No Surprise Act was was, um, contemplated, it really was to protect patients from having, quote, surprise bills um, because they went to an in-network state hospital had surgery, but the surgery was, um, you know, there was an assistant surgeon, maybe there was an anesthesiologist, whatever, who wasn't in network. And as a result, they billed the patient at out of network rates, hence surprise bill. Um, So that was fine. Uh, You know, I'm in favor of that because when I when I have procedures done, I write on every single paper that they give me. I will not pay out of network benefits. I really write it on there. And I've been doing that for years. So if you're going to use an out of network provider, somebody's going to eat that besides me. And so that I, I'm in favor of that. Unfortunately, and that's, we call it part one of the No Surprises Act. Uh, it's kind of ballooned. So that in itself is good. But then they have a a dispute resolution system that really doesn't lean towards the provider. So if the patient complains about the bill, um, and this process also exists for the good faith estimate, but it's, you know, it has some different components. If they complain, and then you have basically arbitration and um, it gets down to someone decides what the fair amount is the patient should pay. And that doesn't always turn out to be favorable for the provider, as you might guess. The other thing is this also can get entangled um, for out-of-network because if you have out-of-network, like we have we have a lot of PTs who because they uh, accept cash uh, or virtual, or, you know, as a result out of network. So this ties into that. 
um, they didn't intend for this to be focused on that, but it could. But we don't have any clarification about whether this will implicate private practices. But so focusing on the good faith estimate part two of this No Surprises Act is really where we're all sitting there pulling our hairs out, hair out and saying, you gotta be kidding me. You know, I had one of um, my dear clients who is a all cash except for Medicare uh, provider. And I got this horrible text and it said, I'm just gonna sell. It's me. I provide services. I do the billing. I do all the administrative tasks. I can't add this to my things to do. And I mean, we're hearing this all over the place. So people are very frustrated. So what does it mean? So basically this part two pops up and again, not expected. Um, And we have to tell patients who are uninsured as well as those who are insured but choose to self-pay what our best estimate is for how much the service is going to cost. Well, it's not like you're going to do, you know, here's the surgery, here's the cost of the surgery, it's over and done. Because we have repeat services, and that makes it very, very complicated. Um, Medicare did um, have a uh, frequently asked questions, uh, although it didn't answer very many questions. And so, you know, we have, and when I say we, there are multiple associations working on this, um, individual stakeholders, um, probably all the PT consultants out there have been, you know, writing CMS, trying to use every contact we have to get some clarification, but we're not getting clarification. One thing we do know absolutely for sure we do have to post a notice and that's the easiest thing we have to do. And that notice needs to be posted in our clinic in a prominent area, needs to be posted, uh, especially in areas where you would collect uh, for services rendered or do billing, that type of thing where a patient would uh, be able to see it. And then thirdly um, on our website. Uh, So, that notice basically says, hey, we are required by law to tell people who are uninsured or who were not using their insurance, with the exception of federal payers, um, what they could expect these services for the episode of care to cost. You could certainly you know, bring it down smaller than that if you want. I suggest people typically do it within a planned care period because you might change things at that point. And you have to also tell them there's a few disclosures. You have to tell them that uh, if the estimate that we give them is exceeded by $400, they have a right to dispute it and how to dispute it, who to contact, those types of things. So it's a simple notice. Uh, That's the most clear thing. Okay, what becomes unclear about that is it says it doesn't apply, <coughs> excuse me, to um, patients who have uh, are 
benefits with better payers. But one of the caveats here is it says, even if a patient calls or a person calls and said, I'd like to know how much it will cost to treat my post-op ankle. They don't have to set an appointment. They don't have to have a referral. They pick up the phone and say, this is what I'd like to know. Well, that actually could be a Medicare patient. You know, it could be a workers' comp patient. It could be a, a third-party liability person. It could be somebody with insurance or it could be your competitor. You know, so these are the types of things that maybe were not intentional, but certainly will happen. Okay. So once, and we have a time frame, there's certain time frames that put, you know, if you schedule within this period of time, you have to give them notice. And we do have this all outlined, which if y'all are interested in getting um, some summaries of the two things we're really going to talk about today, you can contact um, Alicia Mahoney. And I, do we have her uh, contact information in the chat box? Uh, yeah. we, we, we can definitely get it there. Uh, okay. We can link, link it in the notes. Okay, she can, she can get that. We have a couple of versions of our e-newsletter that um, hits on um, this subject and addresses the subject. I think there's three of them. And we also have pulled kind of a little uh, cut and paste together. Uh, of everything that's been produced. So those have come out uh, in January and actually another one today um, is going out. So anyway, we have the specific period of time we have to advise a patient of their good faith estimate. And if they, I mean, a lot of our patients are walk-ins. So how do we meet that notice? And if we have to give them at least a day's notice, well, what do we say? Well, you walked in today and I'd like to treat you, but the, we have this new law that says I have to give you a, a day uh, advance notice of what it's going to cost you. You know, so a little complication there. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, well, let's let's take a step back here and talk about application, which uh, you started to go to. Um, by the way, we Alicia is literally in the waiting room right now just okay so we can uh admit her i think she was going to try to do a little intro uh because she had some other commitments but uh we can we'll catch her up to speed here yeah we can figure out something since we're already underway yeah alicia sorry guys i was stuck on a call with our developer Okay, wait, that's fine. We are we're about eleven minutes into recording. Um, we so we did an introduction. We're talking through uh, the SIPA, um, the at least the the eight page one that I had that you had sent over. Um, the <clears throat> and r really we're just at the point now where um, I'm going to start asking about implications because. Okay. It, it sounds like there are no penalties, really, um, that are established. Well, there will yet. be penalties. Okay, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> As of today, there are no established penalties for failure to comply or 
adopt. Right. So do you guys do you need me like to do anything? I'm I'm so sorry, guys. Like I was like I had it at one thirty anyway, and I'm just like, oh my god. So do you need me? Uh, no. Yeah, we're no. Good. Okay. Okay, then I'll get out. Okay. See you, Alicia. Bye. Bye. Uh, right. go so, ahead. Yep. Yeah, so it, what it sounds like is that as, so there's this new and it's federal legislation, right? Mm-hmm. That, um, as a healthcare provider, I have to post number one is all of our clinics. We have to have likely in the waiting room with the licenses or certificate of occupancy or something like that, that in prominent display, um, a, the, the statement that you mentioned or some form of that. If right. I'm an owner and I don't have that, it, can I contact BCMS and? Absolutely. We right. do have a template. Um, Medicare also has a template on its web, website. Um, so you can go to um, cms.gov um, and they have a uh, no surprises uh, act webpage. Yeah, I, I see it here um, within the SIPA. The, essentially, right. for owners, the resources contact BCMS, get the SIPA, the resource page, and then uh, via Alicia, and then that has uh, multiple other links in it. So, number one is that's on everybody's checklist is we have to get that done. Right. Second, the second thing is that uh, we really have to train our staff, our team, uh, especially reception, that if somebody says, okay, um, you know, uh, how much is this going to cost me, whether they're, and what I'm hearing is whether they're in network or out of network, we have to tell that to everybody, right? Is that true? That's right. Basically, what we are supposed to state is, and obviously, we would uh, preface it with, would you like to file insurance? Um but if, it, if you are cash based, obviously you don't want to say that. Yeah. Um, but do you want to file insurance? If not, if you're going to self pay or if you do not have insurance, we are required by federal law to give you a good faith estimate for the services that we would render to you for this condition. Yeah. So. And I, I know you have this in, in the SIPA, Mary. Um, I, so we've been doing cash pay. Our, I'm guessing our cash pay rate is exactly $100, might be 104, something like that. Yeah. And we've always said $100 a visit. Is that sufficient? Or do I need to say, well, you're coming in for an ankle sprain and that's likely going to be six visits and that's $600. Or you're coming, you're a complex back pain case or a, a whiplash injury or something like that and that's going to be 16 visits so that's sixteen hundred dollars right so what do we need to do there so what happened is they created required elements for the good faith estimate form what's interesting is cms's form that is on their site does not comply with with the uh, elements, they have a couple extra and they are missing one, if I remember right. But anyway, it is a little difficult it to use because it doesn't work for repeat sessions. It, so um, 
what you have to do because you do have to tell them this is how much it's going to cost if you are flat fee or if you do a fee for service you know by CPT codes or whatever you're going to have to figure that out make sure that your estimate is uh, gives you enough latitude not to go over four hundred dollars obviously um, and um, then we have and, and there's you know, you can do it by, okay, we're going to do 16 visits. It's $100 each. That's going to be that, um, that type of thing. So on the form that we have, it will give you some options. The thing is, you have to identify what you're doing. This is what I think is the hidden um, consequence that we're going to have to deal with. For years, we have tried to discourage the third-party administrators and all of these payers from saying, we're going to authorize X number of visits or X number of CPT codes. You have to identify what you're going to do to the patient. And these are all pre-offs. And I mean, what are we supposed to have? Are we supposed to have a you know crystal ball and, and know exactly what we're going to do to them? We don't. So that, that's problematic for sure. Um, and so when we get into this situation with the patient, uh, regardless of how you have set up your, your estimate, whether it's, like I said, based on, you know, fee-for-service by CPT code or by visit or whatever, uh, you still have to do some prognosticating and, and you have to know what you're going to do to the patient. So the more inclusive you are, the better. But the important thing is the good faith estimate really mirrors your plan of care. Because if they are going two different directions, that's going to be a problem because we follow our plan of care. And we, so that means the therapist has, has to keep track of two different documents. If you decide that patient isn't responding well, or they're responding, you know, there was divine intervention and they're really healed. Um, and you want to change things dramatically, then we have to go back. Um, if we think we're going to go over that original estimate, if you're under it, not a problem. But again, we have to look at what we tell them we most likely are going to do. And for us, that's the challenge. And that is what... Um, I know that the APTA met uh, during a combined sections meeting um, with CMS. They said, you know, surely y'all didn't mean to include us. <laughs> really, did you really mean to include us? And unfortunately, what it says <coughs> in the interim rule is that it applies to all licensees in a state. So if you're licensed, your healthcare licensed person, then it applies to you. So it's not like some of the other things that if you were not a certified rehab agency, it didn't apply to you. You know, we've gotten some some waivers and some exemptions because of that. But this has the word licensed provider in the state. So it applies to us. So we're trying to work with them uh, and getting some answers um, we're not getting answers. They have been listening, um, but I really think that there was not uh, 
And I can't say what was in their mind. I, I don't think they intended for us to have the administrative burden that we are experiencing with this. And yeah. you know, if you reevaluate somebody, that's when we determine what we're going to do to them. So it almost necessitates two good faith estimates. One for the evaluation. And then, okay, now I'm going to fill out something because you have to give it to them in advance, remember. So one for the evaluation, and then you have to create another one. Now, is there a consequence for not giving it to them in advance, like it says? If the patient says, I want to be treated right now, shouldn't be a problem, I would think. We also, as you said, don't know what the penalties are because they're not anywhere to be found. We don't know if it's fines, penalties, administrative sanctions. We don't know. But Got it enough. is law, so we have to comply. Qu question on the, uh, the website. Okay. Because that is, uh, that ver is very broad. There, so having something on the first fold. So if you go to, for example, maddenpt.com and what you see either on your, uh, your, your laptop or your phone, you know, that w without scrolling at all, do we have to have a, a good faith estimate button there or the notice there that is fully legible or we can ha hide it in patient forms? <laughs> it has to be readily accessible. So again, something we don't know, you know, how many, how many layers can it be? Uh, it's just, I akin it to how we handle HIPAA privacy notice. How do you handle your HIPAA privacy notice? How do we, how do we handle it on the website? Website, uh-huh. Yeah, patient forms. In patient forms. Yep, intake forms, or I, I forget exactly what the tab's called, but it was, uh, it's something specific to patients, they click there, they see a drop-down menu, and they can click. Your, your privacy policy should be readily accessible to the public. Your HIPAA privacy notice probably can be within the form. So yeah. if, that is, if that is your consistent way of handling patient notices, yeah. then you're showing you know, consistency whether that consistency is going to be okay down the road, we don't know. Great. The, the other thing that you had in here uh, in this SIPA summary, Mary, which I think is important, is uh, the, the intention. It's important to show the intention as a business owner that we're attempting to comply with the law. What, right. what do you mean by that? Well... Um, what I mean, well, there's two things that typically happen. We have, well, there's really three, but we have providers who say, I'm just not going to do it and they can catch me if they want. Okay. Um, and we don't have a whole lot of people like that. I think in general, we are a compliant group of, of professionals. Um, you have those who totally defy what is logical, okay? <laughs> so I have seen a number of notices out there, okay? When they tell you what should be in the notice, 
and you choose not to include that in the notice, then that's pretty purposeful. You know, when they tell you, you have to tell them there is a dispute resolution. If it goes over $400 and oh, by the way, to apply to get that dispute, it costs you $25, but it's not from us. It's from, you know, HHS. So those things have to be in the notice. So if you have people who choose not to put that in there, I think that's less than compliant. Fair. Just uh, as a reference for everybody, I, I want to lead you the read you the list of resources that uh, Mary and Alicia have in this SIPA. Um, so the link for the CMS Good Faith Estimate Standard Form is in there. The CMS Good Faith Estimate Data Elements are in there. The link for that, the Good Faith Estimate FAQ um, that Mary mentioned. For some odd reason, I'm thinking that's from January 10th, but I don't see it. Uh, the, the link for the CMS uh, No Surprises Act website that Mary uh, referenced earlier is in uh, this SIPA summary from BCMS, the No Surprises Act Part 2 Good Faith Estimate CFR. Um, the link for that is in there, the No Surprises Act Part 2 Provider Patient Dispute Resolution Process CFR that Mary just mentioned. Uh, all six of those links are within this, this SIPA. And, you know, just to offer a, a, a note, Chad keeps talking about SIPA because he is one of our clients and that is our e-newsletter. But what that stands for is seriously important uh, practice alerts. So we don't write a newsletter just to write a newsletter. It's going to be meaningful. Hopefully it's going to be cutting edge. So you're one of the first people to get the information but we bet our, we bet the information goes in there. This is not uh, Mary DeLong's soapbox. And if I happen to do that, I'll say, in my opinion, <laughs> okay? <laughs> um, so anyway, that's our e-newsletter. There, I'll bet. Yeah, and yeah, we've been on this for, I, I think, five or six years now. And I know uh, for our group, it just keeps us, uh, again, it's an alert to stay safe, right? Um, and especially for all of those who've been audited or um, are thinking they, they want to protect themselves, um, if audited, this is the way to do it. The, um, you have a section in here, Mary, on uh, the BCMS concerns, concerns about the uh, good faith estimate. Um, it, it, are there... I, and I know you've alluded to quite or and covered quite a few of these already. Is there any other one in there that stands out that? Um, uh, let me I, skim through it to see. Uh... Hey, podcast listeners, when we make assumptions about others, it's just not fair. In spite of that, I'm going to make an assumption about you. You have a growth mindset. You want to help more people, leave a bigger impact, build a better practice. Am I close? If I'm right, then I have a unique offer that I think you'll be interested in. But first, if you're a regular listener, you probably know that this is brought to you by Breakthrough, the leading platform for private practice growth. Breakthrough's mission is to help people in pain get back to normal, live healthier, and do it naturally. The best way to do this is by empowering private practice owners like you to grow your business through direct-to-consumer marketing. If you're a practice owner with a growth mindset, You'd benefit from a risk-free consultation with a breakthrough growth expert. Go to getbreakthrough.com forward slash 
podcast offer to take advantage of this unique opportunity. On that call, you'll learn the key principles of how practice owners are helping more people, creating a bigger impact, and building better businesses with Breakthrough Systems. As an added bonus, the team at Breakthrough is giving a $50 Amazon gift card to any of the podcast listeners who attend this growth consultation. Sign up for your growth consultation and $50 gift card at getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. Again, that's getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. One thing, and, and I'll emphasize this because it's a concern, as I said, somebody could call and they could be Medicare, right? And they're saying it doesn't apply to Medicare, but Medicare patients do have the right to pay cash if they initiate it and say that they are going to, uh, they don't want to reveal their Medicare information for billing. And that is, that is, uh, appropriate as long as the provider is enrolled with Medicare. You can't just not be enrolled and accept cash from Medicare. As much as we would like to do that, that we can't do. So if we have a patient who calls and people think, oh, I read that little thing, it doesn't apply to federal payers, are we denying the Medicare patient the right that they have? to choose to pay cash. That's a concern. So when we read these things, we have to think about other complications. Um, we I talked about us having to know what we're gonna do through our crystal ball. Um, and we, we don't wanna be put in that position. You know, That's why we have direct access so we can determine what we wanna do to the patient. So, uh, don't just jump in bed with that. Be as broad as we can. You'll see on the form that we provide, we have, <clears throat> you know, evaluation. Uh, we may have diagnostic tests on there. Um, we put CPT codes and we put them in the 97,000 series range. So you don't have to say, I'm going to do a manual therapy and I'm going to do this. Um, but for those of you who do fee, uh, uh, you know, fee for CPT codes, you're going to have to kind of have a, a, a pretty good ball, uh, you know, uh, range there. I think I don't think that there's um, a whole lot of other things that I didn't list here because they're they're the unknowns. We don't know what happens if somebody says. Well, I want to pay cash. And then at the very end, they said, oh, now I've met the gigantic deductible I had. And so now I want to file insurance. You've gone through all of that and worked with them and created this uh, good faith estimate. And now they're going to make you go through the, the I, want to, I want you to file my insurance now. So just extra administrative burdens are the kinds of things that we have to be aware of. Great. The, uh, the next section, you have uh, BCMS tips and options. The one thing that I want to focus on here is uh, the, the final bullet point. You, you said prepare a script for your office billing staff to answer good faith estimate questions. Um, is it volleyball question here, Mary? Is that something you provide for the clients? You know, we've been so busy trying to do this. I have <laughs> not. And that is on my list to do. Great. Because it's very critical. 
yeah. it is very critical because if the staff goes, oh, this is where that you know federal payer comes in. Oh, well, your Medicare finish. Yeah, doesn't count. But see, yeah. it could. So we have to think through the script, and we want less is better as long as it's compliant. Yeah. Keep it simple. Right. Great. So let's. Uh, it, well, anything else on uh, the the GFE that we should be talking about there? Good faith estimate. Um. No. Or we move to audits. Yeah. No, I, I can't think of anything else that I think um, we have a solution to because <laughs> we don't have a solution. Like I said, we're waiting for answers. Um, we're hoping the answer is this doesn't apply. You know, this is going to be an impossible endeavor, but um, we'll see. So, so it sounds like the government is trying to protect the consumer. I know uh, in my family, I've seen EOBs, uh, just one of my parents just went through um, a cardiac procedure with the hospital and we went this, and they, they wanted a break, you know, a breakdown of the explanation of benefits and there were facility fees and the anesthesiologist you mentioned that wasn't mm -hmm. in network and all, all this other stuff. So I, I completely get it, but perhaps they did not think of the ramifications the burden that it would put on all providers. So right, it, it, it very much, and it sounds like uh, there will be some shaking out of that over the course. We're hoping so. And as I said, the associations, it's um, PARCA is a group of, I think it's 11 different associations that uh, did construct a letter um, to CMS and that was presented last week. Um, that also is available if people want to see it. It's it's not going to cover anything more than this. You know, it's saying, hey, are you really, you know, aware of what you're asking us to do? You know, so. so let's switch over to the supplemental medical review contractor audits. What is that? <laughs> that is the notorious neon green envelope notice okay <laughs> uh, that's what we're calling it now uh, when you know when we had cert audits they were smart enough after a while to know they had somehow or rather alert providers that this really is an important uh, envelope and you need to open it and they had those uh, I think they were canary yellow or something <clears throat> well the, the smart auditor uh, and this is supplemental medical review um, contractor. Um, they originally uh, were tasked to, um, to audit PTs or therapy practices when we went over the 3,000 uh, threshold and now, just not hitting it. Because remember when we had the rack, if you went over 3,500, um, you automatically were audited by the rate. This is different. This is not an automatic, you just passed 3,000, now we're going to audit you. Uh, this was, you passed 3,000, and there's some funny stuff going on. You are an outlier as compared to your peers. Either you bill a lot more, you bill a lot less. You go over the KX threshold all the time, you never do. So, you know, outline things. You use the same codes over and over and over, regardless 
Um, and you know what that is, our, our redundant, redundant coding. Yes, Chad. <laughs> that's right. So they look at that. They can see all of that at the claims level. They don't have to see documentation. They can read what you're doing and they can look at whether they think there's progress. So that is what they were tasked with. And that was a project that went on, I think it started in 17. I might be wrong on that day. Um, but all of a sudden, we started getting all of these um, notices from Noridian, and they are the contractor um, that CMS selected for as a SMIRC auditor, and we call them SMIRC. Uh, and that's kind of like RAC. It's not a, it's not a positive term. Well, this is the SMIRC. So not meant to be happy term, right? <laughs> um, so we start getting these audit uh, requests for um, records um, for a data service. And that's not uncommon for auditors to pick a data service and maybe have 30 or 40 charts and you have one data service. But typically it's, you know, mid-episode or somewhere down the episode of care. Most of these, and I'm going to say I've only seen two exceptions and we have been flooded, flooded with people saying, I've got the green envelope. You know, what do I do? Um, are for the initial evaluation. So you're going, this has got to be a mistake. I mean, when I saw the first one early in January, and we're, we're talking about our, our inboxes are filled with people saying, I got the envelope. You know, what do I do? Blah, blah, blah. So we started looking at that, and um, we said, well, you don't have to give them as much information as you would if it was a same mid episode. You know, obviously you're going to give them Val. You're going to give them the certified plan of care. You're going to, if you did treatment that day, obviously you'd have a treatment note. And then supporting documents. So if you did, if you had abbreviations, abbreviations list, and all that. So we have all that available for you. We have an ADR packet. For typical audits, and now we have an ADR packet for smart audits because they are asking for some unusual things. When we started looking at what they were asking for, <clears throat> uh, several of the things on their list are really not required under Medicare Benefit Policy Manual um, documentation or some of the, the other things. So like they ask for a position order. Well, first of all, we don't operate under orders or prescriptions. If I can draw anything home to any of you is that we either see patients under direct access or by referral. Our, our practice acts do not say orders and they don't say prescriptions. Okay, so we, and it, it is a step above that. So, but it says, or evidence of intent to order. Well, that's very much kind of like a hospital kind of term. And we don't have to provide that. Medicare does not require a referral. They require a certified plan of care. So we had that. Then we had um, a situation where they're asking for short and long-term goals. Well, we only have to have long-term goals in our plan of care. 
So everybody's panicking. I'm like, sure, Mary, you've been telling me for since 2006, we don't have 10 short-term goals and now have travel. No, you don't have travel that can't go outside of, of regulation. Um, so there were just a number of things, but the big one, and this is what is bringing me to what my conclusion is about this, and I could be way off. They have a, um, a, a, they said, show us by provider name, uh, who is who billed on this date of service? <clears throat> so you're thinking evaluation, okay, it's going to be the NPI, the PT that did the evaluation. So what we found is we did have a number of people. Now, a lot of the people that have contacted us are not clients. And I would like to say that I think our clients know that you have to be enrolled to bill Medicare. Um, they had a number of PRN therapists that did evaluations and also therapists waiting to get final application approval. So they did what they called is, oh, we covered it because we have an enrolled therapist co-signing for it. So we've got two signatures on that evaluation. Okay. So, and then everybody that's on this call is saying, but I know there's that little phrase that says, if you are not enrolled, you may treat a patient under the supervision of an enrolled therapist. That indeed is in the Medicare Benefit Policy Manual. Okay. It says treat. You can look through that little proviso and you will never find bill. And everywhere else in that, in the Medicare Benefit Policy Manual, Program Integrity, Claims Processing Manuals, it says in order to bill Medicare, you must be enrolled. And in fact, uh, Medicare just recently updated Program Integrity section on enrollment. And then right at the top, you will not bill Medicare unless you are enrolled. Okay, so what does this mean? Well, I think that's what they're looking for. I don't think they're going to sit there and say, oh, they, they coded this as a moderate evaluation and look, they didn't have all the elements. What are they going to do? They can't take it away from us because they're all, you know, billed at the same fee. Um, they could, but I don't think that they have uh, that skill set, they'd have to have therapists there to really go through and really be able to understand how we're selecting things and where we put things. EMRs are very different. So you may pull elements from here or here. We don't have to repeat them. So I don't think they're looking for that. Uh, so what are they looking for? They're not looking to see if you have, they may be looking for signed plans of care. But they could get that anytime if they looked at other dates of service, you know. So they'd always be looking for that. There is no uh, 10th visit progress report because you haven't gotten past the first visit. Are they looking at how we bill for a treatment if it's done on the same day? Maybe. Doubt it. But so 
I my guess is that they're looking to see if people have treated a patient and build it under someone else's NPI. Now, I don't want to be the, oh my God, everybody's going to go home and pull their hair out and have a heart attack and what are we going to do? But it could be considered a false claim. And a false claim has hefty fines and penalties. So um, I don't know what their intent is. I don't know if their intent is to say, you know how now I'm doing this and we're going to slap your hands and now we're going to do something. I, I don't know. I have no idea, but I do think that's what they're looking at. That's my guess because it doesn't make sense otherwise. Got it. So I get one of these fluorescent green envelopes in the mail. What do I do? Uh, one, if you're on this call, pull up all the resources we gave you. The smart packet will tell you exactly what to do. We have one that says how to respond to a payer's request for records. It will walk you through. It's quite lengthy, but you know, it has some infographics, so it's not terrible reading. And it will tell you, open the envelope and save it. Do not throw the envelope away. <laughs> uh, then read the letter. Then read the letter again. <laughs> Look at it, know who's sending it to you. So it just goes through step by step. And then we produced um, a, a template for a table of contents. The more organized you are when you submit this in, you know this, Chad, you've you know, submitted these. Put them in a good frame of mind. If things are organized, legible, um, easy to follow because they do this eight hours a day, five days a week. And so you want things to be. So we have a table of contents. We have a template cover letter. Um, we have um, a form for identifying the billing personnel they asked for. Uh, we also have provided some clips from the Medicare benefit policy manual that says, hey, we don't have to have long-term, I mean, short-term goals. So here's your little clip to support that. So you have it in your head. We don't have to have orders. The things that they really did ask for that you might not be able to provide, you have the support for that. Um, so you do that, you submit your records. And, and, my, and I have talked directly to Noridian about this. I said, I said, well, what if they don't have some of the things that you have on your list? Well, you know, we do have we do have a kind of a second round. And I said, what's that? And they said, discussion and education. I said, so we submitted, we don't have everything, you deny it. Then we can either accept your denial, and we don't know what that's going to be, you know, are they going to extrapolate or are they just going to take that data service and you know, deny payment for that or ask for a refund. It will be a refund because this is all, this is all post-payment. Um, or what? And she said, oh, well, yeah, you're right. If it's denied, you have that choice. Accept it and get on with life. Or to say, no, uh, I want to talk about this. And so you set up this discussion and education. I said, so instead of doing it right the first time, and not getting the denial, the denial, providing, you know, documentation is, is supporting whatever. Um, we have to go into this discussion and education. And we still, that's time, that's preparation, 
and you still can deny us. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's real reassuring, you know. So, again, um, I know for sure uh, the associations have reached out to Noridian. Um, and this was uh, during CMS, they met with them uh, about this or somebody from CMS about this. And the scope of the audit, the intent of the audit, you know, it's, it's definitely not transparent. It's not transparent. So um, that's what we know about this. Uh, we are, you know, it's a learning, it's a, it's a learning situation for the providers. Yeah, the, just to um, share the resources that you have here. Mary. First of all, uh, Alicia, uh, her email address um, that we uh, Mary mentioned earlier, I just want to, uh, only because I have it in front of me now, is Mahoney A for Alicia at bcmscomp.com. So that's M-A-H-O-N-E-Y-A at bcmscomp.com. Comp.com. For those of you that are listening, also um, Mary and Alicia and the BCMS team, they have put together other training for you that are highly recommended, uh, billing and coding, and also uh, documentation part one and two. So if you're looking for any of the resources that we're talking about, you can email Alicia and uh, she can set you up with that, including um, the SIPA, which is the, what, what we're reviewing um, right now. Um, anything else that we should, because uh, you also have a, an FAQ here, Mary, that's pretty extensive for um, the, the Smirk audits here. Mm -hmm. uh, and if they contact Alicia, they'll also get the frequently asked questions as right. well. Right. They'll get all of that. One thing we did, um, we just had somebody call us to, well, I just, the first time I heard it today, that a phone number we have listed. Uh, is not a, the number that's going to get you where you have to go. So we have corrected that and it'll be corrected in. And the reason we gave you the Smirk uh, phone number is because you can, if you get that envelope, the first thing besides keeping the envelope and reading the letter, it'll say this has to be responded to by. However, you can request an extension. Always request an extension. Because you never know if you're going to run into a situation where you go, oh, my God, I don't have a signed plan of care. And then you have to go track that doctor down. <clears throat> so get that. I always say go for at least 30 days. So far, we haven't seen them get more than 10. Okay. Very fair. Um, the So one uh, final question for you here, and thank you for extensively reviewing the good faith estimate and also uh, the smirk audits, because I know they're... Uh, a lot of owners are paying attention to those two things right now. Is there anything else uh, in store for us as private practice owners in 2022 that you see coming down the, the pipe for uh, in, in terms of uh, future legislation or proposed legislation or anything like that that is on your radar right now? Well, uh, in discussion with, um, you know, some of our uh, associations like governmental fair people. Uh, I, I guess the thing I want to share, I guess this is a little bit soapbox, is we all know the PTA um, payment differential is a killer. But I want to tell you, it's not going to go away. 
I am sorry if I'm the fun sponge on this, but our co-professional, our, I mean, our, our colleagues, the nurses, the PA, all of them have been dealing with this for years, if not decades. And it's going to be very hard for us to say, but not us. So let's put our endeavors where we're going to get least resistance. Let's get rid of the plan of care certification. Let's get general supervision across the board. Let's get local tenants. Then we won't have problems with somebody signing something that they're not enrolled. <clears throat> so I think what I would encourage y'all to do is, is look at some of those things that are very important. There is legislation out there. Um, but so that's my little soapbox. But there's one thing, and I just addressed it in SIPA today <clears throat> about ABNs. So everyone knows, if you have how much time do we have? This will probably take about five minutes. You're golden. Okay. So everybody knows you don't provide an ABN uh, or you don't have to provide an ABN when services are not covered. So recently we were told, okay, and dry needling is not covered by Medicare, right? And it's not covered by most payers. Um, so we were told, and we don't know where this came from, what initiated, I cannot find it on CMS's website, but uh, this came down from a high level, that this was a fact, that if we do dry needling on a Medicare patient, we must provide an ABN and we must submit the claim with a GA modifier. So it's a mandatory ABN. That makes no sense because it's not covered. And if you go and look at the LCD, um, excuse me, the NCD on this, it clearly says it's not. But the rationale that's coming to us, which again, I haven't seen in writing, is that Medicare decided it actually is covered, just not for therapists. It's covered for acupuncturists and for low chronic low back pain. Specifically, carves it out, has it in the national coverage determination, and says because it is covered, then you must provide this ABN. So, this is where I come from. I mean, you can go back and I just I just got an email during this presentation. I thought of one more thing why it shouldn't happen. They always tell you when they change ADNs. They haven't told us anything. Why would they, this all be coming out? So <clears throat> anyway, there's a bunch of us are really at unrest about this because of, again, another administrative burden. Most people do provide something. Of course, when you, you know, give them all of the, uh, paperwork you have for dry needling do provide something in the way of a voluntary ABN so they understand it's their liability, but you don't have to submit a claim. <clears throat> it's just there in the paperwork. So this, this is my rationale. And 
follow me, and y'all can use this if you want to argue with Medicare. If this is their philosophy, but because something is covered for another provider under different benefits, okay, so we all, like we have therapy benefits, there's doctor benefits, there's incident two benefits, there's in-hospital benefits, all those types of things. So if something is covered by another individual, and we could do it by scope of practice, okay, but we can't because they won't pay for it, we're going to have to always do this ABN. So here, here's my example. And we'll probably have every chiropractor screaming from here until wherever. So basically, this is, this is my question to CMS. If indeed you're saying this, because, because acupuncturists can do low back, chronic low back, dry needling, and you cover it, but you don't cover it for us, we have to do the ABN, then would this apply to chiropractors who have, they've carved out uh, manipulation for uh, spinal manipulation for subluxation. They cannot treat any other musculoskeletal conditions or neuromusculoskeletal, if you want to go that way, of Medicare patients. But guess who can? We can. So if they treat a shoulder, now do they have to provide an ABN and submit the claim with the GA modifier? Because what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? Do you think they meant that? I sincerely doubt it. Does that make any sense? Sounds complex and that uh, there were maybe some decisions made that weren't well thought through. Right, and we can't find it in print. I can't tell you how many hours I have gone up and down all the manuals, everything about a ABNs, everything, uh, gone through the LCDs, the NCDs, gone through everything, gone through all the therapy, because Medicare, when they change things, of course, coding and whatever for us, they always update therapy services, nothing. There's nothing. Yep. Very fair. No, um, that's something to be aware of. Yep. And uh, yeah, I appreciate a, a look into the crystal ball, Mary. And uh, what, what, what's coming down the pipe for us in the future as uh, private practice owners, uh, very much appreciated. Uh, another quick reminder um, for if you're looking for any of the resources that uh, Mary mentioned um, in this episode, you can email uh, Alicia Mahoney. It's mahoneya at bcmscomp.com. Uh, you can also check out the BCMS uh, website uh, bcmscomp.com. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Great. Wonderful. Well, Mary uh, DeLong, Queen of Compliance, thank you very much for being here and helping my, us my as a private practice owners. Thank you. And we look forward to hearing from y'all and I hope it's not because of a, of a neon green envelope. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Mary. Okay. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.